Welcome, listeners, to the NK News podcast recorded on March 28th, 2018 in Seoul. I am your host, Chacos Wetzlut, and joining me here today in the studio is Ayesha Sitara, a frequent traveler to the DPRK and a student of the Korean language in Seoul. Welcome, Ayesha. Thank you for having me, Joku. Today we will be discussing your most recent trip to North Korea as well as tourism to Korea more broadly. Before we get started, I need to tell you about our NK News subscription giveaway, valued at $300. US One random reviewer on the iTunes or Apple podcast app per week will win that free membership, so do please review us after this episode and you might win. And that will enable you to read the stories on the NK News website, as well as lots of other excellent information available at nknews.org. And you can download or subscribe to our podcast not only at iTunes, but also Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube and other podcast platforms. Also, you can save $50 off your NK News subscription by using the code PODCAST at the checkout. So, Ayesha, where are you from? Yeah, I grew up very much in India, and now I live in Hong Kong. I shuttle between Hong Kong and Seoul, actually. Uh-huh. And before that, in London, where I did my master's. Right. And when did you uh, first travel to North Korea? So, my first trip was just after Kim Jong-il died, 2012. He died in December, I think. Just after that. Actually, it wasn't that cold at that time. So, it was just after that, a few months after that, actually. So, that was my first trip. And how many times have you been there now? So, I've been there five times since. And then I did a very long tour last year, a little over 23 days. Wow, that is quite long, isn't it? Especially compared to most visitors there. Now, why travel to the DPRK in the first place? Some people get the India bug. I suppose I also got the DPRK bug. Uh-huh. Uh, but actually, no. Um, I read a book called Only Beautiful Please. Um, it's a really good book by this uh, British ambassador called John Everard. And that influenced me a lot uh, because it was a personal account of what he saw and who he interacted with and within his responsibility, how much he could do. And then I read Nothing to Envy after that oh, as yes. well by, by Barbara, Barbara Demick. Demick. Yeah. yeah. And then I was fascinated by it. And I think also it also has to do with me growing up in India and the fascination for socialism because, you know, we had closer ties to the Soviet Union then. And, you know, we didn't have Time magazine. We had Sputnik and TAS agency. And so we were heavily influenced by socialist Russia. So I guess that's what took me to places like DPRK, Cuba, Vietnam, China, you know, those kind of places. So this is perhaps why your background is interesting, isn't it? As you said, you grew up in India, and so you were drawn to different things. Yeah, your perception growing up is different at that point. You know, you think of socialist values like in equality, justice. I mean, we all know socialism, that kind of socialism is dead, really. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> no communist country has succeeded in socialism. But yeah, it had a great influence on me, I would say. Now, after that first trip in uh, in the spring of 2012, uh, you said you've, you've been back five times since. So what is it that keeps drawing you back again and again? Do, do you feel that there's more to see, more to discover each time? Yeah, there is. It keeps expanding. The tourism has expanded since Kim Jong-un took over as well as the leader. There are lots more routes that have been open. Like last year, we had Heiju, for example. That's in the uh, the southwest of the country, yes. close to Kaesong, isn't it? Yes. And this time, we had the train journey from Pyongyang to Vladivostok. And, you know, each trip you can do little by little. And, you know, you I also want to experience it in various seasons. You know, also visit places like Chilbosan and Pekdusan, Chongjin, Heryong, all these places. And it just keeps expanding. I know the tourist numbers are like 30% down or something this year. But as for me, I think it's just kept expanding. And the access to tourists 
has widened. Have you seen? Would you say that you've seen most of the country now? Yeah, I think I've done north, east, south, and west of the country. Uh, I haven't been to Masikriang, right, the ski resort on yes, the uh, on the east coast. East coast, but I've been to Wonsan and those kind of places on the east. So I think I've seen all the provinces except the one province that you're not allowed to go. Is that uh, Chagangdo? Yes, yeah. you can't go there. Is there, are there a lot of Indians who travel to North Korea? Do you, do you meet a lot of others there? I haven't met anyone there, but I've seen some people do run the Pyongyang Marathon, uh, and I've read their accounts of it. Are there any travel agents in India that specialize in North Korea? No, Coast, I don't think so. I, don't, no. I haven't seen any that uh, – I haven't heard of any. Well, I don't – actually, I do know there, is, there aren't any travel agencies specializing in North Korea tours. Okay, so it's not like there's a flood of uh, of Indians who are flocking to North Korea. No, no, no not at all. Okay, and what's it generally like uh, to be there as a as a tourist? I mean, you have to expect the unexpected. To be a tourist is very restricted. I mean, you can't just hail a taxi and go somewhere that you want to go to. You can't just go to a restaurant where you can order anything off the menu. You can't just say, I'm going to catch a train from here to there to travel across and get to a destination, you expect it to be restricted because, you know, it's very controlled. You always have the minders and guys with you and everything. And on the other hand, something could happen that could be unexpected. Like I had my first 4D experience and an earthquake simulation in Pyongyang. You know, but that was... 4D is like like 3D cinema, but with movement? Yeah, with 4D and, you know, vibrating chairs Mm. and we were seeing a dinosaur movie. So that's just an Example, But what I'm saying is that was not on the itinerary. But, you know, since we had a free day and we told the guys we want to go to the science museum, they got the permissions for us, and then they somehow managed to do it for us. So, you know, you can put forth some things and it might work. So in a sense, the expecting the unexpected part is uh, because... The, the whole itinerary is out of your hands and sometimes things happen that uh, that were not part of your original plan and uh, and sometimes things don't work out. Well, there's a larger unexpected thing as well because it's a unique country. Yeah. So everything is unexpected. I mm. mean, you might see it in films and documentaries and read about it. But actually, when you when you arrive and you see things, the whole place is unexpected. First of all, everything is monumental. I mean, like, you know, it's humongous. All the buildings, the structures, the monuments, everything is on a large scale. I mean, from Hong Kong's narrow alleyways, come on, imagine landing in Pyongyang with those wide open streets. Yeah. It's, you know, that itself is an unexpected physical experience. Right, no, that's... I can imagine, yeah. Uh, when was your last visit to North Korea? So my last visit was in March 2018. I, I went from Feb 27th to March 7th. It was a train ride. Oh, just a few weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. And it was winter. It was really cold. It was freezing. Some of the hotels didn't have any proper windows. Like, you know, you had plastic insulation. Yes. But uh, the young Akto in Pyongyang was decent. Um, so we did a train journey from Pyongyang to Vladivostok. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you go right through the heart of North Korea and then turn towards the east, towards the east coast and go up to Chongjin, Rajin, Rasan Special Economic Zone. Have you seen things change? Yeah, a lot. I mean, there are more lights. I remember the first visit, there weren't many lights at all in Pyongyang itself. There's more traffic these days. There's a lot more, even food-wise. I mean, the first visit, I remember I was looking for fruits and I couldn't find any fruits. Now you can go to Kwangbok supermarket and uh-huh. buy fruits or even on the in the street kiosks, you can still find it. I think it's a thriving city, Pyongyang especially, and there are others. Even Kaesong, I have seen, has changed uh, quite a bit. There's, it just feels 
slightly better off than what it was the first time. Between 2015 and 2017, when I went for the long tour, I was quite amazed because I had there was a two-year gap between 2015 and 2017. The changes were remarkable. It had astonished me. When I arrived in September 2017, I was just astonished at how many more new buildings have come up, you know, and the traffic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had traffic jams, actually. Well, whereabouts? In Pyongyang, mostly the central, just near the foreign language bookstore, you know, that kind of places where there was definitely more traffic, mm-hmm. just across the bridge as well. Now, visiting North Korea is not uncontroversial. Can we talk a little bit about the uh, the ethics of tourism to the DPRK? I know that uh, some North Korean defectors argue that people shouldn't ever visit the North. Their money and their presence lend support to the regime, a regime that treats its citizens poorly poorly, to put it mildly, while others argue that people should continue to visit because it's a form of engagement and because North Koreans will see that foreigners are human too, and also because the money will breed corruption somehow and will reduce people's dependence on and faith in its government. So what do you think about that? That's a very good question. Uh, And I do agree with defectors and refugees who've also asked me, why do you go to North Korea? There is a cash flow to the regime from us, but it's very minimal. And I do agree engagement in the last 30 years of tourism hasn't changed the regime. So there is an argument that they make that is very justifiable. But at the same time, when I go, I'm learning something new, I'm experiencing something new, as well as sharing something new with them. You know, you can talk to students, for example, and, you know, you ask them, so what do you want to be? And they would say, I want to, especially boys, they would say, I want to join the army to fight the Americans, you know, because they hate the Americans. Sure. And so I say, oh, yeah, we've had wars with Pakistan, we've had wars with China, but we don't really have to join the army. And it's kind of giving some kind of an information sharing with them, you know, this is how it works in my country. So there are various interactions with Koreans that where I do try to put it very mildly, how we exist outside. I don't know if that's going to have any impact on them, but I hope they will be able to think about it. Uh, so people who visit North Korea love to take photos. There's you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands made every year, and there are, there are rules and guidelines about when it's okay and when it's not. Can you tell us a bit about your experience of taking photos there? Yes, there's, it's really restricted. And if you love taking photographs, please be prepared to face those restrictions. Military soldiers is a no-no. And then you can't take pictures of anything that is impoverished, bad buildings, bad-looking buildings, drab-looking buildings, for example. No poverty, no people laboring in the fields, no construction sites. When you take pictures of the leaders, you have to take the full statues or the full murals. Right, from head to foot. Yeah. So those are the restrictions generally. Where you can take pictures is at all the revolutionary sites. They're very eager for you to take pictures of their leaders. Yeah. Um, in Pyongyang, you can take pictures of the metro, inside the metro, various museums, but not the Fatherland Liberation War Museum, surprisingly. Mm. Interesting. But you can do the Sinchon Museum. I'm always baffled at, at this you're allowed to take pictures at the Sinchon Massacre Museum, but yeah. you're not allowed to take pictures at the Victorious Fatherland Liberation War Museum. And if you ask them, it's the silly thing as like, oh, no, but people will use flash and spoil the pictures. I mean, the pictures are all <laughs> posters. They're not even original. So it does baffle you, but they have their reasons. Did you uh, ever visit the old uh, Vic- Fatherland Liberation War Museum? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay, good. I'm just trying to remember whether photographs were allowed there or not. I, I'm, 
I know I went to that museum in 2010, but I can't, reco- I can't recall. I can't recall. I don't remember. There was one instance last year. There was a very, very large restaurant that we all went to one night. In the, in the entrance of the second floor of that uh, restaurant was a very large framed photograph of Kim Jong-il wearing like a chef's hat, like a hygiene hat, you know, and a, and a white coat and doing some kind of food preparation work. And I tried to take a photograph of that. And there was a woman stationed by that photograph with the express purpose of forbidding people from taking that photograph. And I, I said to her, surely that photo will be in, in a book somewhere. Uh, and I found it later on on the internet. Uh, so that photograph is around, but for some reason they will not let you photograph it in that, uh, that restaurant where we went to. So the same experience in like in Tumangang, just um, we went to the Russia Friendship House and there's a photograph of Kim Jong-il with Medvedev. And I just don't understand. It's available everywhere on the internet. So yeah. I just don't understand why you can't take pictures of it. There's nothing sensitive about it. So yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it baffles you as to why. Were you ever asked to uh, delete a picture or to hand over your camera for inspection of what was on there? Yes, uh, sadly, many times they keep asking me, show me what you took, show me what you took. And there was an instance last time when I was there where I got a knock on the door. Um, of the hotel room? Of the hotel when I had just gone to bed. And I was told they had to have a chat with me. So I said, what is it about? Because, you know, it was already past bedtime. And they said, no, it's something to do with some photograph I took. And this was in one sun. So I said, okay. And so I said, I'm just not properly attired at the moment. Give me a little while to get dressed. So I got dressed and then I showed them the thing and they said, you know, did you take these, did you take pictures of these people collecting shells on the, by the beach? And I said, yes, I did. And they said, well, you have to delete it. So I said, oh, okay. I mean, it's what's so sensitive about it. They don't like it. And I said, okay. So I had to delete those. You, know, you uh, on the recent trip, you made a long rail journey through the center of the country. Were there restrictions on photographs there? Yes, during uh, when you stop at stations, you're not allowed to take pictures. It's out of ba- out of limits. Yeah. Yeah, I remember in 2010 when I was there uh, on the last night, we went to the at that time it was a brand new um, fun park. It, the, the, I think it's the Kaesong Fun Park in, in the middle of downtown Pyongyang. And there were a lot of, you know, young people and children um, around. And some of them had come in from the countryside. Uh, they were visiting Pyongyang, perhaps on a school trip or something. And so they were there. And we were explicitly told by our guide not to photograph the children who were not from Pyongyang. Because they're shorter, their, their skin is darker, their clothes aren't, aren't as nice. And so she told us, don't take any photos of the country kids. Yeah. I mean, you know, we should bear in mind that we might take a picture out of greed, which might be something sensitive for them, and then we might take it and come back to our cozy lives here. But, you know, the guides and the minders can get into trouble. They might even lose their livelihood. Hmm. I think we have to be responsible in that way. So how do we do that? What are the ethics around taking photographs? How do we remain responsible photographers on trips to North Korea? Listen to what they say to a certain extent and also make sure that when you... For example, some people give their pictures for publication, make sure that the captions are right, uh, they're not misleading. I've had one of my own pictures, which I had on Flickr, uh, which was public at that time, taken by Daily Mail. Mm. And they said, oh, this is two children playing on the streets of Pyongyang, when it was not even there. It was just outside their home. They were playing a game which is played across Southeast Asia with five stones. Yeah. And they were just outside their home in a cooperative farm. And I had to write to the Daily Mail and say... 
get that photo down, you know, otherwise I'm going to sue you. So I just don't post any pictures of North Korea anywhere. Well, could you tell us uh, about some interesting interactions that you've had with North Koreans while traveling there? On my very first trip, it was the first day. Uh, everything was new to me. We had to stop for lunch somewhere. Um, so, and, but I'm a heavy smoker, so I stepped out to have a smoke. And there was these construction workers playing volleyball. You know, just no net, nothing, just a ball and four people, two girls, two boys playing. And that was my first interaction because I just went up to them and said, do you mind if I play? Because I used to be, I used to play volleyball once upon a time. That was my first interaction, which was great because they said, yes, come along. You know, I didn't speak Korean at that point. But since then, there have been the observations they make always amuses me. If you go to schools and the children would touch my slutty red nails. They, the, the girls can't wear nail polish there and I always wear red and they would touch it. They just put their hand out and touch my nails to see if it's for real, you know. So you have that and then this time in Rasan Market, um, a lady just went through my bangles and I said, yeah, it's silver. Those kind of interactions, very subtle ones. As far as interactions of talking or conversation, that's normally with minders. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you can... Speak with people in the beer bar in Pyongyang, and it helps if you know a little bit of Korean. You can interact with people, otherwise it's guides and minders, yeah. It's uh, schools, colleges. I understand you also uh, sung and danced with North Koreans in uh, Moranbong Park in Pyongyang. Um, that's where you really interact with ordinary people from Pyongyang and, you know, uh, so they're out having their barbecues or they've got the music on and dancing and they actually ask you to come and join them in singing and dancing. You may not know their songs, but, you know, they encourage you, they clap and you can dance with them and they love it. In my first few trips, I never, I didn't notice them taking pictures of us, but mm-hmm. now they have videos. They pull out their little cell phones and yeah. start taking pictures of you, dancing with them and, you know, they ask for pictures with you. I think there's a lot of singing and dancing, and they love singing. I mean, North Koreans will break into a song any time, given a chance. Would you say that these uh, encounters uh, in Moranbong Park with the people, that they were very spontaneous and unscripted? I would say it's unscripted, but they are also at the same time know this is what they should do. Right, so there's a possibility that these people have throughout their lives have been told, you know, when you meet foreigners, here's how you behave, here's what you don't do. Possibly. Definitely. I'm sure it's part of their growing up. Yeah, I think that's actually um, the Moranbong encounter is quite a common one for tour groups, isn't it? I, I had the, the same thing. Dance. That, that too. Yeah, yeah, where foreigners can interact. But obviously they've been told you can invite, you know, no North Korean is going to come up and start a conversation with you or interact with you. Right. Just like that. But I guess in these kind of situations, they have already been told it's okay. Probably you can invite foreigners to come and dance with you or when foreigners want to dance with you, it's fine in these kind of situations. And I guess in a sense, that's a a safe kind of interaction because if you're dancing, you're not having a conversation. So they can't be, you know, you can't be hearing uh, subversive messages from the foreigners because you're only dancing with them. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're just smiling and clapping and dancing and that's about it. Can you say anything about uh, conversations you might have had in a beer bar with North Koreans? How did that go? So interestingly, this time uh, there was this guy, uh, he's a judo teacher and he was there with four other men. So I went up and I spoke to them and, you know, I said, what do you do? I asked each of them where their family is, all that. And then he was eating something like a hamburger. So I said, where did you get your hamburger from? And he said, America. 
you know, it's just as a joke. In English? Yes. Oh, I mean, wow. he, he spoke English. And I said, you must be kidding. And he said, no, this is not a burger, you know. And then, you know, he started having a conversation of where I come from. And then they said, have you seen Bahubali? Because, you know, they once they knew that I was from India, they said, have you seen Bahubali? And I was like, oh, I'm afraid not. No. Is that a, a famous uh, recent Indian Apparently, film? Apparently, it's a really famous high-budget roller that came out of Indians had a, se- a sequel as well. Now, you mentioned uh, at the beginning that uh, in your first interaction with North Koreans, you were smoking a cigarette. And uh, I recorded another podcast earlier today in which one of my co-stars said that uh, in North Korea, officially, no women smoke at all. So have you ever had interesting reactions to you as a woman smoking in North Korea? Have people ever said things to you or, or looked askance at you or made a comment or asked for a cigarette? So, no, nobody's ever asked me for a cigarette and nobody has ever commented on it, even if they're thinking about it. But yes, they do stare at you if you smoke. Having said that, outside the Kwangbok supermarket, I was having a, you know, a cigarette and there were ladies waiting, um, seated, uh, maybe to catch the bus or whatever. And they actually stood up because I was actually smoking a cigarette yeah. uh, by the bin and they actually stood up and asked me to sit down oh. with them. So they yes, could inhale some secondhand smoke, <laughs> <perhaps>. smoking, <laughs> yes. probably. Probably. They do stare at you because mm-hmm. it's something unusual for them. Have you ever smoked with a male guide? Oh, all the time. Oh, or a driver? A driver. And, and they're very open guides, to that. All the males. They don't know, mind they smoking don't mind. with a woman. And they would say, it's not good for you uh-huh. as a woman. But I say, But they wouldn't know, stop you either. No, they mm. wouldn't. No. I think it's quite an icebreaker. Yeah, it, it certainly can be. I've heard that a few times from different people. And I mean, we know certainly uh, everyone who travels to North Korea has heard that uh, cigarettes are a great gift to buy at the duty-free shop in China. Uh, yes. You know, we're um, always encouraged to give gifts of cigarettes to the drivers, to the guides, basically to any man that we meet. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I've given away a lot of cigarettes, I would say, all over the country. Uh, it's highly appreciated. Uh, it has good value in North Korea. Are there some brands Brands that are more popular than others from your uh, experience? Yeah, Mevius, the Japanese brand, is quite popular. Uh-huh. Um, it's what they look forward to. And then they say, um, I said, do you want a Marlboro Light, Marlboro Red? No, Mevius. Or they like seven stars from China. So remember, if you're going to North Korea and if you want to give any of them cigarettes, Mevius yeah. and seven stars. I ran out of cigarettes last time. You know, I did a long tour last time. Although I took seven cartons of cigarettes inside. That's 200 cigarettes each box. I gave away quite a lot. And at some point I did run run out of, I think it was Chongjin. And I decided to, right, for the heck of it, just buy a North Korean cigarette. Do not. It tastes horrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, It gives you a throat pain. Mm. Um, And, well, at least the one that I smoked was terrible. No, they're quite cheap, so, most of them, aren't they? Yes, they're very cheap. But so, they do have that one that the, apparently Kim Jong-un prefers. Yes, to, but that's really expensive. It's really it, it's like 40 euro per carton. It is. It's it a is, lot of money. Have you ever tried of, those? No, I haven't. Okay. Now, I understand that on a trip a couple of years ago on a train, you met a, a Chinese uh, veteran of the Korean War. Yeah, that was fascinating because what happened was we were traveling from Beijing, sorry, from Pyongyang to Beijing uh, via Sinuju. Uh, and it was one of my first earlier trips. And there was this Australian war veteran who was on his fourth trip to North Korea. So he'd gone back a number of times yeah. since the Korean War. He must be in his 80s. Yeah, and he said, this might be my last trip, wow. you know, that kind of thing. And then I got chatting to someone in the waiting room of the Pyongyang station. And then we got boarded the train and I 
checked with them what they do and there was a crew, a television crew that was following them. So when we were on the train, it's a long journey, it's 22, 23 hours to Beijing from Pyongyang. They wanted to know more about me and, you know, things like that. So I went and sat with them and I had, you know, drinks with them, tea, coffee, whatever it was. Um, They shared and then I asked him why he, and he had all these medals. Mm. This one particular man, gentleman, he had all these medals. So I asked him what it was and he said, oh, I fought in the Korean War, you know. So I said, oh, and he said, I'm Korean ethnic as well. Ah. So I said, guess what? Someone from our group is is an Australian who also fought for the UN on UN side uh, during the war. Would you like to meet him? Mm. And he said, of course. You know, they've never seen each other, but fought each other. So we went and checked with Peter. His name was Peter. And yeah. I said, Peter... Would you like to meet him? And he said, yes, of course. And so what happened was they, the crew, like the TV crew followed and they both met and they both recounted with someone translating to us what they were doing exactly at the time of the armistice. Uh, July 27, 1953. Exactly. And the... Korean Chinese, he said he was a radio announcer mm-hmm. um, and he said he remembers it very clearly and when the war came to an end or the armistice well the war has never, the right. war hasn't ended but when the armistice was signed and it was really fascinating and then when they got off at Shenyang they presented Peter with a bouquet of flowers wow. and took photos and it was really amazing Now speaking of flowers, North Koreans seem to give you flowers at random times <laughs> Tell us about that so the first one was, I don't think it was intentional. I was, uh, it was July 27th, the military parade they have every year. Uh, sorry, I don't think they have it every year, but they had a military parade for the 60th anniversary. Oh, yes. Um, so I was there and, you know, we don't get to see the military parade. Uh, but, you know, if you stand in the streets, side street, the parade leaves and you see the whole convoy. So what happened was, you know, I was waving and taking pictures and everything. And then suddenly I was stu- I started shaking hands from their military jeeps to everything, started shaking hands or tapping them, really. And then one of them just handed me some flowers. I don't think it was intentional. I think he was just doing it to whoever he could. So uh-huh. that was not, he didn't pull me out of the audience and say, here are some flowers for you. No, it was just a passing thing. But... I did the Pyongyang half marathon mm-hmm. a few years later with Korea Tours. That time I had uh, done 10 kilometers, almost 10 kilometers. And this guy in a red jumper, uh, he just, I'm going around saying, Anyoshmika, Anyoshmika, Anyoshmika to everyone. And this guy in a red jumper with glasses, he suddenly just stood in front of me and just gave me a bunch of flowers. Wow. These, the ones that they wave in all the parades and the, the paper flowers. Yes, okay. the plastic ones, actually, plastic the plastic one, ones. And I was a bit, oh, was this intentional? But I guess it was in a certain way. I don't know. I wouldn't know for sure. So I tried to put it behind my hair and ran the last 10 kilometers with it, but it wouldn't stick in my oh, head. Okay. They're so big. Yeah. So I was holding it in my hand and running the last 10 kilometers. <laughs> and you know, the half marathon finishes inside the stadium, the Kim Il-sung stadium. Sure, yeah. And, you know, you have 50,000 plus North Koreans cheering you right. with their clappers and clapping and a football match is going on. And here I was, you know, running with these flowers right. uh, around the stadium. And they must have thought I'm some kind of a celebrity <laughs> holding these flowers and running. It was a fantastic experience. It was very memorable. Do you feel in general that uh, North Koreans react differently to you because you're Indian? Yeah, I would say that. They don't feel as threatened, probably. Mm. There are a lot of similarities between them and me to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, growing up in a closed India when I was growing up, because the 
opening of India happened in the 90s under Dr. Manmohan, Manmohan Singh. But um, yes, and they have had on their television, uh, they do get to see Indian movies, which are censored, of course. Right, like the one you mentioned. Bahubali, The Gardener. And I also know that the Pyongyang International Film Festival also shows uh, Indian films. So they have, I mean, they know the Raj Kapoor films or the uh, Satyajit Ray films, you know, those that have very good uh, moral social themes. Do you mention that you live in Hong Kong or do you leave that out and just... You know, tell them that you're Indian. I do tell them I live in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a raya. What does that mean? Do they have an understanding of what Hong Kong is? Was it yeah, I've shown, them, them? I've shown some people pictures. I've shown, shown students pictures because you are allowed to take pictures to show of your family or life. Uh, and they look at the buildings in Hong Kong. Yeah. And I also put in, you know, drab looking buildings from Hong Kong to for them to understand both exist. You know, right. I try to tell them the gap between the rich and the poor is quite wide in Hong Kong. Um, yeah. The other thing, I also show them pictures from India, mm-hmm. um, farming to, you know, the high-tech cities and Taj Mahal or, you know, because I was once, we were in Kimmelsung University and there was, I saw Google. So I was oh. quite, you know, on his computer and yeah. I said, oh, you know, he's got Google yeah. and I took a picture and then what happened was I said, oh, do you know the Taj Mahal? You know, and the a student said, he couldn't understand maybe. Right. So I said, Himalaya San, you know, like yes. um, he might understand that. The Himalayas, and, yeah. Yeah. And so I said, uh, and so he said, no. And I said, can I show it to you on your Google since you're on Google? Yeah. And then the minder comes, to, comes up to me and says, no, 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 that's not allowed. I see. So I wasn't allowed to use the computer. Do you, is it possible that it was a, a screenshot of Google, that it wasn't actually real? It could, could be a PDF. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with North Korea, it's all about estimates and possible maybe. Right. Uh, tell us a bit more about your experience with your guides or, or minders. Yeah, they are really amazing people. I mean, they will go out of their way to do various things for you. The first, the second trip or the first trip, I don't remember, but I had this guide and, you know, um, I was looking for some fruits and at that point there weren't many, there wasn't much fruits available. And I said, oh no, I don't eat breakfast. I just normally at home, I just have a fruit, you know, some apple or something, you know. And we've been traveling around for a while and, you know, Nampo, she comes and she slides an apple into my coat. Oh, nice. That's really sweet. I yes. mean, she found it from somewhere mm-hmm. and she said, here, since you, she remembered and she slid it. So that's um, one experience. And then sometimes they are also very good at cracking jokes. Mm. I mean, you know, last time or the trip before that, we used to always have this anti-America joke first thing in the morning oh, yes. or a Jackie Chan because, you know, Jackie Chan joke. Is he fam- famous there in North Korea too? Well, he seemed famous among the minders. I'm not sure about the rest of the population. And I've had conversations about K-pop with them. Uh, Like, for example, I would slip in saying, oh, no, I don't have that because, you know, uh, I'm not allowed to bring my phone in here because it has South Korean material, American material. Uh So, you know, but have you heard Psy? Have you heard K-pop? And the minders would say, yes, we have. So they they show some knowledge of that. Yeah, they do have knowledge of that. Mm. And then sometimes you have, last time, when I went to Chongjin, there was this or oh, Harry Young, one of those northern parts. We had this guide who used to always say, get off the bus. 
get off the bus. And there was no, please get off the bus. And I think a joke was made about the way he was uh, saying it. You know, 23 days is a long time. I yes. had one guide and we talked about sanctions, America, yeah. India's nuclear policy. We talked about Australia joining American forces. He mm. asked, why are the Australians joining with evil America? We talked about movies. I think, you know, I, I was on the road with him on buses and trains and planes all the time. And I kind of began to have a rapport with him as well. We were smoking together and, you know, and I felt ill. He really looked after me. Mm. I had to stay back in Pyongyang where the rest of the trip left. So he made sure I was well and, you know, and I don't think this podcast time is enough to give all the details. As you learn more Korean language, do you use it more with your your guides? Yeah, I try to use as much as possible. And with do you them. feel that changes the experience? It does. And although I have to say that the language is very different. It's a bit uh, like manashipshio or, you know, things like tashi manashipshio or something like that, they would say. So the language is a little different. Even it's not hangugo, it's chosen mal. So they'll say chosen mal chareheyo, charamnida. You know, chosen mal charamnida. And you, when you speak to them in the north, especially, politeness is, you have to be polite. Yeah. Uh, really polite. Whereas Pyongyang at least has little yo, yo, yo in it. You know, you can get away with right. yo. But in the north, and so you have to think twice before you say something because yeah. you don't want to sound, sound South Korean. But I'm very open to them about living in South Korea. Okay. I've been there. Immigration officers have looked at my visa yeah. pages and they're like, ah, so you've been to South Korea? It's like, yes, I live there now, between there and Hong Kong. And they don't seem to mind that? No, and they start speaking Korean to me after right. that. Right, yeah. So, okay. you know. But obviously, as you say, as soon as you open your mouth, they can tell that you've learned your Korean in the South or yes, in the North, yes, can't they? Yes, yes, yeah. And I'm very honest about that with right. them. What was the funniest thing you saw in North Korea in all your trips? What really sticks with you, a moment that you were laughing? What I find funny a little bit is that they start with saying, as you know, but you really don't know. No, right. I always find that funny. But as you know, you know, that's quite funny. A funny incident? Funny together? Like, were there, were there commonalities in humor? Not that I experienced, no. I mean, yes, the jokes that they would crack, especially, I think, the North Korean guides and minders and the North Koreans and me, we share a love for anti-Trump jokes, mm -hmm. for example. Um, topical. And they love to crack jokes about America. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's full of humor. On your most recent journey, the train journey to Vladivostok, um, tell us about a, a scene, a vignette, something that you saw that really impacted you, something that stuck with you. So the landscape, first of all, the landscape is stunning. I mean, yes, it is all snowed under and the villages are snowed under, the fam farms are snowed under and everything, but it's beautiful, unspoiled beauty. I mean, it's one country where you don't have billboards and advertising and branding. Of course, you have the branding of the Kims, but you right, don't the have... the propaganda slogans. Yeah, and the propaganda slogans. That's yeah. there, no doubt. But you don't have a crowded, uh, like you would see in China, India, and all these countries, or even in South Korea. There's no LG or Samsung, for example. So the landscape is stunning. And, you know, it feels even sometimes when you look at the villages and the, chim the smoke coming out of the chimneys, it, it feels a kind of warmth when you look out and you see that and you know that something's cooking and you know, someone's having a good, going to have a good meal or whatever it is. So that is amazing, uh, the landscape. And I think this train journey is an amazing journey if you want to see the 
landscape of Korea. We had other people who were Koreans, uh, North Koreans traveling. They were leaving the country. They were heading to Moscow, Kavarask and Vladivostok. It was really good fun with them. I mean, we were... Um, we made we made friends with them quickly. Uh, we were going to stay two days with them, travel with them two days, and you know it was someone's birthday uh, on the train uh, from our group, um, and so we celebrated that. We cut a cake, passed it on to them, and then knowing that he's a vegetarian, first they gave some meat like dis- dishes as a gift to them yes. to him. But then I tried to explain to them, no, 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 Yacheman like, you know, they eat, he only eats vegetables. Right. So they pulled out a cucumber and gave it to him. Oh, nice. You know, and then we we did split up in Rajin with them. I talked to them about Pyeongchang, the Paralympic, sanctions, America, what they do in Russia, how long they've been there. And then we split up because we stayed two days, two, three days in Rasan. And then we met them in Tumangang again before we crossed into Russia. And one of the guys came up to me and said, Ah, Ayesha. And he just took my luggage and put it on the train, you know. Wow. So it was very good. Yeah. So that was very warm, definitely. Would you recommend others visit North Korea, people who haven't been there before? You can read what you want in the press and you can see any number of documentaries Whatever, but I do think if you really want to experience Korea, not Korea, you have to visit the country. And I know a lot of people say it's principally wrong or morally wrong, but I do think it's important that you see a country through, through the Korean people and not through its regime. That would mean like, you know, you can go, you may hate Hunsen, but you still go see the Angkor Wat. Mm. You hate Duterte, but you still go swim in the seas of the Philippines. Uh, you might like, you may not like Modi, but you still go see the Taj Mahal. So, you know, I do think, um, remember that there are 24 million people living there. Two million may be the elite, mm-hmm. you know, but there are 22 million Koreans. And they're some of the warmest, most hospitable people you would ever meet. Are there any things that first-time visitors should be aware of or bear in mind? Yeah, I think uh, what is important is uh, stay clear of certain topics that are sensitive. Example, religion. Don't trust your religion on them. They're not asking you to follow the Kims, uh, which is a religion in their country. Uh, The second thing is also do not be disrespectful to their leaders. And remember always, you might do something, but there's always a pair of eyes watching you from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like you saw with the example of my uh, getting caught with my pictures, you know. I thought nobody was looking and I took a picture of these people on the beach. But somebody looked and complained and told the guides. So there's always a pair of eyes. Right. Any final comments or things you'd like to add before we wrap up this podcast? Yeah, I'd like to just say that, you know, you have to visit the country with an open mind. It's a very unique country, but it's a very beautiful country as well. There are lots of hardships you will see. You will see poverty. You will see bad things as well. You can see something that is negative in your eyes, but might be positive in their eyes. Um It's 70 years of isolation for them. They do not know what the outside world is, not all of them. So I do think that you have to go with a really open mind and be constructive in your criticism once you leave the country. Okay. Well, thank you once again to this week's studio guest, Ayesha Sitara, for coming on the NK News podcast and telling us about her trips to North Korea. Don't forget, listeners, you can listen to all of our shows as well as read full bios and show notes on our website, 
www.nknews.org. NK News is the leading repository of North Korean research, news, and analysis, and we hope to see you there. And don't forget, you can send feedback, comments, questions, or guest suggestions to podcast at nknews.org. Our podcast is produced each week by Arias Dare and facilitated by Chad O'Carroll and Christina Lee. And lastly, a reminder that one random reviewer on the iTunes app per week will win a free NK News subscription, so please review us after listening and you might win. Also, you can save $50 on your NK News subscription by using the code PODCAST at the checkout. And hear you again next time. (laughs) 